Awesome. Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Is Adolfo back there? Yes, he is. Good man. Today's Sunday school is going to be a warning against turning away from God. I'm in seminary, so those of you who know that, going to Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary, and I emphasize Baptist because uh, this subject got them upset, and it got me a little upset, and we got into a little Holy Ghost scholarly tango, and I almost withdrew all my classes, but then we eventually just said, you know what, we'll agree to disagree, because they asked me a very simple question on a test. Does this passage, and they just reference this, does Hebrews chapter 3, 7 through 17 teach severe backsliding, true or false? And I put true, and I wish I could have highlighted it. I wish I could have put stars next to it. I wish it would have been an essay question. I would have wrote a thousand-word essay answer to it. And what they believe is that when you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation. Now, that may sound romantic and great. Wow, I mean, just God loves you. He'll never let you fall away. But listen to me, friends. That is not something you want to believe. The reason why is because you will then justify in your mind how you are living. And you will think, God will never do to me what he does to sinners because now I am his child. And you do not understand, he never dealt with the Jewish people that way. He never said, you guys are Jewish people, I won't punish you. No, they were the very ones for, in 40 years in the desert, they died in the desert. He would, they were the very ones that got punished and sent to uh, Babylon. Those are his people. Matter of fact, he seems to deal with them worse than he deals with the other parts of the world. And, and there's actually a saying among Jewish people, I wish he would have given it to others. Sometimes Jewish people say, this covenant is too much for us to bear. Why didn't he choose somebody else, like the Assyrians? Why didn't he choose the Armenians? Uh, why, why didn't he choose you know, the Greeks? Why did he choose us? Because they've gone through so much as a result of God's punishment. So go to Hebrews chapter 3. Obviously this may not keep you smiling and giggling this morning, but I have to share this with you so that you'll be taught in the Word, and I've got to be a faithful preacher and teacher. Amen? Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 is the context of what I was meant to study, and I still believe what I do, and I was thankful that I got to choose for a writing assignment a passage of Scripture that they say is difficult to interpret. Now you're going to understand why the Liberty Baptist School considers this to be difficult. For us, this is not difficult. If I was in uh, a professor in class and I was saying, I want you to choose passages of the Scripture that are difficult, maybe I would choose Revelation and the four horsemen, who are they, the sea turning to blood, you know, the, the locusts that sting and have faces like men, sound like, a, 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 like horses coming. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I might give you that one. The wheel within the wheel from Ezekiel, that might be difficult to interpret. After we read this this morning, you let me know if it's difficult for you to interpret, okay? Everybody say, help us, Lord. Amen. Let's get started. Hebrews chapter 3, 7 through 17, a warning against turning away. And it says it right there in my Bible, warning against unbelief. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of the testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the desert? That is where the passage ends for the class, so I'll stop it there. But, of course, we could read it to verse 18. Don't ask me why they stopped it at 17. That's where they stopped it. Now, as I'm just getting out my confessional today, getting a little affirmation from the body of Christ, the elders that are here, is this a difficult passage to interpret? How many believe this is plain? Say amen. Let everyone here by Sunday school uh, on this tape, you guys say amen. Say one, two, three. So no one here is confused. Let's go through it and understand the clear warning that it gives us. Number one, verse seven, so the Holy Spirit says. Now, where is the Holy Spirit saying that? This quote comes from Psalms 95. So if you want to know the Old Testament reference, it is from Psalms 95. But what I love about the author of Hebrews is that he attributes it automatically to the Holy Spirit. So how should we look at the Scripture? Is it David's writings? Is it Jeremiah's writings? No, we can classify that for the sake of organization. These belong to Jeremiah. We have a book called Jeremiah, etc. But when it comes to the origin, are the writings of Jeremiah or of any other prophet, even in the New Testament, Paul? No. Where does the Scripture come from? Where? The Holy Spirit. So when we read the Bible, the 66 books that we have today, we should adequately and accurately say they come from where? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit says God so loved the world. Not just John. It wasn't his opinion. The Holy Spirit said to Paul that it was not by words only, but of power that we preach the gospel. Do you understand? Amen. Now, the warning here in Psalms 95 is to the Jewish people. Now, where they try to insert a different interpretation, as I read their commentaries, is that they want to say that this warning is to two different groups of people. One is to fake, pretend pretend Christian. The other is to genuine Christians. And they want to say that verse 7 through 13, or verse 7 to 12 rather, is to pretend Christians. So these are people who are in the Christian body who call themselves Christians but really are not. 
But that is not true, my friend. There's not two different audiences. The reason why they have to acknowledge that the audience changes in verse 13 is because the only one that can encourage anybody would have to be a Christian. But yet that would contradict itself because still in that verse it goes on to say that you, the very ones he calls brothers in verse 12, would not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So even if you try to say that the first warning is to pretend Christians, which it definitely does not say anywhere in that passage, you cannot get around the warning in 13, still being to brothers, being warned not to let sin harden their heart. Now, once again, think of the implications that a Baptist person would have to say who doesn't believe that you can lose their salvation. Number one, they're saying that God is warning somebody that already has a sinful heart not to have a sinful heart. That would not make any sense. If you already have it, then the warning is never to have the heart again, not to go back to that heart. And that's why it says today, my brothers, do not harden your heart. You see, all sinners without Christ already have a hard heart. Do you understand? And the same thing in verse 12, it says, so that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from God. Well, if this is a wannabe Christian, they already have a sinful and unbelieving heart. Romans chapter 8 says that if you are not born again, you only live by the sinful nature, which is death. So to say that this is to want to be Christians, the warning would make no sense because they themselves are already sinful. Do you understand? Now, the second part of the warning that would make no sense is if now you're saying to Christians who actually cannot turn away that they are to be warned about not being deceived by sin, then it becomes a pointless warning. Why would you tell somebody that cannot drown that you have the fear of drowning or need to be warned about drowning? You only would tell somebody to be warned about drowning if they themselves could actually drown. Are you listening to me? Would I come to you right now and say, don't drown today? And while you're in church, be careful not to drown. You would look at me going, what are you talking about? It's impossible for me to drown. There's nothing around here for me to drown. If you believe that a Christian cannot fall away from God, then why would you say in verse 13, encourage one another so that none of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness? There's nothing to encourage me. I can't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Therefore, their understanding of it being two separate warnings is full of the devil and a devil's lie. Amen? Even though I love me some Baptists, I don't love me some Baptist lies. Amen? I love the truth and I hate error. Just like if you had a child that says two plus two equals eight, you would say, I love you, baby boo, but that is an error. And if, you, if they kept promoting that error, you would begin to hate that error. You would say, that is wrong. You're not going to get very far in life believing two plus two is eight. And you're not going to get very far in the kingdom of God and reaching people if you think that people can never lose their salvation because they're going to be able to live however they want because they have nothing to fear anyway. Now are you ready for the truth? Somebody say, bring in. Here is the truth. The Holy Spirit is speaking to one Jewish people. One Jewish people in Psalms 95. One Jewish people that left, the, uh, left Egypt, left the bondage of Egypt with Moses. And now what are they doing? In the desert, they began to turn their back on God. Aaron, Aaron, who for sure was a believer in, in God at that time, while Moses was on the mountain, turned his back on God and made a golden calf. Do you understand the warning? The warning is don't do that, my friends. How does that happen? Look at the stages of, of sin and how it works in a person's life. 
Today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts. So what is the stage of rebellion towards God? Is The first thing is, is you don't hear his voice anymore. You see, you can get so busy in the Christian walk that you stop praying, stop reading your Bible. And when you stop hearing his voice, your heart can become hard. Do you think that the pastor of New Life Church in Colorado Springs who ended up having a homosexual affair with a prostitute on crystal meth said to himself the day he started ministry as a young man, I'm going to fail this way in 25 years? Come on. Do you think the person today that's in this church right now that is sitting here and they're away from God and they're going to come to church today and they're going to be away from God, do you think that that's what they thought to themselves two years ago they would be away from God? They're going to sit here in this church and they're going to say, what happened to me? Let me tell you what happens to people like that. And this is the warning. They stop listening to God. Think about all the times in your life when you struggled with sin and temptation the most. What were you doing the least? Praying and spending time with God. As the old adage goes, prayer keeps you from sin and sin keeps you from prayer. So for those of you here that the commands of God become a burden, keeping the laws of God become difficult. Your problem isn't with the thou shall nots. No, your problem is with love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because as I've given the example before, if you go to Thanksgiving dinner, which is coming up, and you eat so much, somebody could offer you your favorite food, and the very smell on the side of it would make you puke. Why? Because you are so full. You are stuffed. And that is the way we are to be, so full on God that when somebody offers you sin, temptation, you say, man, I can't do that. I'm so full on God's love. I can't go to the love of another woman. I can't be on pornography websites. I can't lose my temper and live in anger and bitterness. Why? I'm so full of God. But guess what? If you're empty, you'll gobble up your favorite food. And if you're empty on the inside, if you haven't been praying, if you haven't been reading your Bible, that devil just gives you one little temptation, one little pop-up ad on the computer, fellows, and you're going to jump all over it. Why? Because you're empty and you want to fill yourself up on the inside. Somebody hurts you. You'll be offended. You won't forgive. Why? Because you're not satisfied on the inside. You see, the first stage of rebellion is turning your ear from God. And then what happens after that? The hardness of heart. This is verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in rebellion. So if you stop listening to God, if you allow your heart to become hard, what will the end result be? Rebellion. Everybody say rebellion. Come on, say it like you're up this morning. Rebellion. Amen. Rebellion will be the result. So once again, if this is to somebody who's already rebellious, why are we telling them that? There's no point to tell them that. It's not like, you know, you, uh, God is speaking to the people of Moses. Hey, everybody here is rebellious, and everybody here has a hard heart, and everybody here can't even hear what I'm saying, so I don't even know why I'm talking to you, so let me tell you this anyway. No. What he's saying is to people like Aaron. Aaron, you're in the desert with God. You're hearing him. Don't hard your heart, Aaron. Stop making golden calves. What he's saying is to the people who just saw God part the Red Sea, don't worship the golden calf again. Let this be a lesson to you, otherwise you'll die and perish. Somebody say, have mercy. You see, during that time of testing in the desert, God tested them, and he, they failed the test. And you see in verse 10, 
That is why I was angry with that generation. So is there times that God is angry with his very people, not the sinners of the world, but his very people who should know better? Yes. You're talking about a nation of Israel. Listen, when they left Egypt, the estimates are that they had between a half a million to a million Jewish people walk out in that desert. Let's take the high number, a million people. When they turned their hearts against God, God said, none of the people here will see the promised land. God purposely kept them in the desert for 40 years to punish them because they failed the test. And you know how many people who were originally in the camp of Israel saw the promised land? Not even Moses himself. You know who saw it? Joshua and Caleb. Two people out of a million. My friends, God is serious about his people living right. He will not compromise. You may say to yourself, well, Joe, I'm going to live the way I feel comfortable with, and I can find a couple people in the church that they're going to kind of do what I do, and we're going to kind of start our own little mini click, and we're going to kind of be compromisers, and we're not going to be like, you know, Ish and Robin sold out or Adolfo and Griselda. We're just going to kind of be in-betweeners. Listen to me. You will die in the desert and not see the promised land. You might say, well, well, Pastor, I can go to a church right now. 10,000 people that all agree the way I do. Listen to me. If God allowed 999,998 people to die in a desert to prove his point and only let two get in, he will do it again, baby. Listen to me. Don't take him as a softy when it comes to his word. He will do it again. Look at the story of Noah. He only spares eight people out of a world that at that time could have had millions, if not hundreds of thousands. And so the warning to, uh, to the church is the Hebrew author is taking it and now saying, listen, guys, today is your day to get it right. Look at it in verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. How much more plainer could that warning get right now? First of all, brothers is defined by Jesus in the New Testament when he says, Who is it that's my brother, my mother, my sister? Those who do the will of God. So right here, when some might say, Oh, the Hebrew author is speaking to his Jewish Hebrew countrymen calling him brothers. No, he is talking to the brothers that are doing the will of God. He is speaking to the church as it's in the New Testament, never going to the Jewish people. It's always the brothers are the body of Christ. And here it says to them, see to it, brothers and sisters, include yourself in this congregation, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See, that's the warning to us. You see, today you need to hear this. Just like when we drive on the street, we need to have stop signs. Aren't you thankful today for stop signs? We may not fully stop at them, but we're thankful they're there. Amen. How many are happy for stoplights? How about that? That's very important. My dad and I were driving last weekend in the suburbs of Lombard, and uh, we were taking a left-hand turn, and some joker was coming, and you know how that is. They were going to run that red light, and I'm taking that left-hand turn with my whole family, mom and dad, wife and children, and I had to slam on the brakes because that guy wanted to run a red light. If, that wouldn't, if, that, if we would have been just a few feet closer, he would have plowed into us. 
And as you know about the woman from Biggest Loser, if you haven't heard about she was on the show. Those of us who talk about that show, she lost her husband and her two children in one car accident. Bam. So aren't we thankful that there are traffic signs that tell crazy drivers when to stop? And even then, sometimes they don't listen. Aren't you happy that there's a God who tells you when to stop? Because he knows the danger that comes. He knows the tragedy that will await you if you don't stop. It doesn't mean that I'm walking around wondering, am I going to lose my salvation today? Am I going to lose it like my set of keys? Oh, gosh, I can't find my salvation. Where is it? I lost it. No, 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 no. Salvation is a precious gift, but he wants to warn you about it. See to it that you don't stop listening, uh, that you stop listening to him and that your heart becomes hard, and you get in rebellion, see to it that you don't allow yourself to have a sinful and unbelieving heart. Now look at verse 13. But encourage one another daily. Everybody say accountability. You see, this is the reason for accountability, that you are to encourage each other daily. Somebody say daily. You see, it's not Metro Praise who made up accountability, my friends. I was talking to someone who used to attend this church that has now lost their faith in God. And some of you have been seeing their Facebook. And we need to pray for them. If you don't know who they are, talk to me afterwards. And I called him up and I said, what are you on? What are you doing? And he started telling me all the things he doesn't believe in anymore, including the Bible. And I said, what about accountability? And I should have known better. But he said, I don't believe in that either. Well, of course sinners don't want to believe in accountability. Why? Because it tells them they're in sin. Listen to me, my friends. If you are living for God, accountability is not a fear to you. It's a blessing. It's like a workout partner who encourages you to push the weight further and harder. It's like a jogging partner that says we can push ourselves to two miles this time. It's somebody running the same race of life with you, encouraging you. Encourage. Look at the word encourage. It means to give courage. You don't think you can make it past this trial and test, but they're imparting their courage into you by the Word of God. Then there's a time they're going through a trial and a test, and then you impart your courage, your words of affirmation from the Word of God. And at the end, what does it say? It says, as long as it's called today, so that no one is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Two things just come to my heart. That whenever sin's deceitfulness come in, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we repent. So that's why you have accountability daily. So that if you got on the computer and you looked at pornography, or if you lost your temper, or if you're living in bitterness or anger, or if you have offense, or if there's things going on in your mind, doubts and fears, you do it that day. You don't let the sun set. You call up a friend in the church. You call up your discipleship person. You call up somebody that you're accountable with in the 201 class. You say, hey, dude, I'm struggling with this. Do you know why? Because God is gracious at those times. You see, so many of us have watched people get embarrassed by their sin. They get publicly shamed. The church finds out about it. And this is not to say that we intend to ever embarrass anybody. But it is embarrassing when you were in a class and now you can't be in the class anymore. Or when you were a leader and now you have to step down from the leadership. Or you're not seen around the church because we know you got offended. Listen to me. For everybody in here, because this is possible for that to happen to anybody. Let me tell you what you do. You confess it the day the issue happens. And there's grace. The day you feel like looking at pornography, you say, oh, man, 
Dude, right now, I am so close to looking at pornography. Brother, pray for me. You know what? You'll never be taking out the 201 class. Why? Because you're saying this day, right now, man, I'm working on it. I haven't given in to it yet, and I'm praying today to go through it. I remember one time, and you might giggle at this, I was on a Christian dating site. Okay, not too bad. I thought it was going to be worse. (laughs) It's more popular these days. But about eight years ago, I was on a Christian dating site, and honestly, I was safe. I was careful. I I knew who to avoid. I could tell the ones that were there for the wrong reason. And I had a wonderful time for the most part, and I was getting to know people, okay? And and I was hanging out on there in the chats, and I actually traveled to meet some nice young ladies, and they were who they said they were. It was was good. I had great experiences. But there was one time that there was this young lady that was, you know, introducing herself to me, and we were chatting, and I kind of felt a little uncomfortable, but I thought I could minister to her. Okay, this was as a pastor. I started breaking my own rule. I said, well, you know, I'll start to minister to her. And then this is what she said to me. Listen to me, fellas. She said, do you want to see these pictures I took at this modeling agency? And since I had already gone farther past the grace where God had told me to go, now I'm about ready to enter into judgment. Listen to me. See, I never should have had that conversation. And, and then now she said, do you want to see modeling pictures? And I'm just, you know, trying to be naive. Sure. She sent me modeling pictures with her shirt open and her brassiere being shown. And, dude, the fear of God shot up into my bones within seconds. I disconnected it, and I instantly got on the phone with a friend. And I said, dude, I have the... the heebie-jeebie, gross feeling all over my body right now. I know I have sinned against God. I went too far. I feel so disgusting right now. I know it wasn't my fault, but I heard God telling me to back off. I need you to pray for me right now. I got to get right. Listen to me, my friends. That's what it takes. You see, because I could have let those pictures get into my heart. I could have let that lead to private sexual sin. If you know what I'm talking about, fellas, say amen. We're all adults here. I could have allowed, or at least young adults, I could have allowed that to turn into lust. I could have gone as far as some Christians have gone and say, that's not even that bad, and still met with her on a date, God forbid, and have fallen right into sin. Are you listening to me? And that's why when I was reading this, do not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I said, to myself, I don't see how anybody that is a Christian could think this is not for them. Oh my gosh, I am sitting here as the pastor telling you my heart was tempted in a moment's time. I could only imagine if I gave into that sin how hard my heart would have gotten just in weeks, in months. Don't tell me that Christians cannot become hardened in their heart. Don't tell me that there can't be a warning that God is giving to us to not turn away to help us. That is exactly what this is, my friends. Do not be deceived when you think you stand lest you fall. That's what the Bible says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm telling you, that day the fear of God came over me. It is a warning to us. Not to make you think you're just going to oopsie-doopsie lose your salvation. No, but if you're not careful to guard what has been entrusted to you, you can lose what God has done. And it is a process. You see, it starts when you say, oh, I don't need to listen to God. I'll talk to this woman. I'll continue in this relationship. See, I could have done that. And then what happens, sin's deceitfulness makes the heart hard. And then what's the result of that? Rebellion. 
And I remember being a young adult when I was kind of, you know, going through my Christian phase when I was 15 years old, and we were at a Christian camp, and I was a smoker back then. And I remember the camp director saying, hey, we're going to let you guys smoke as long as you put your cigarettes in the ashtray. This was a youth camp. And I remember like about like a hundred of us shout out, yeah, that's how backslidden this place was, okay? We were happy that we could smoke at the youth camp. And, of course, I wasn't legal. I was like 14 years old. That's how liberal this church was. As long as you're here, as long as you're trying to do better, we're going to love you the way you are. So I'm out there smoking cigarettes. I meet a girl at that camp. I begin to make out with that girl on the side of the church building. One of the youth leaders that had an ounce of the Holy Ghost, I thank God for him. He at least had an ounce of the Holy Ghost sense in his brain. One of the youth leaders, and he didn't stop me. He just came up to me and he said, Joe, do you think that's the best thing to do? And I said, yes, I do. Now excuse us. And I went back to making out with the girl. But at least he had enough sense to question me. But he couldn't stop me and he didn't try to stop me. That's how liberal that church was. Well, listen to me. My heart was so hardened by sin. I didn't care what he thought. And I have sat down with people that used to sing in worship bands. They used to be preachers. And you sit down, and some of you have already met some of your friends that backslidden. And you talk to them, and they are so clicked out. Their hearts are so hard. They don't even listen to you. You're trying to tell them, this is a sin. You're not living right. Don't you fear God, man? No, I'm okay. And we know why they're doing that. Because their heart is hard and they're rebellious. And the message to them is what follows, which is now uh, the, the part that is, that is tragedy. I'll get back to verse 14 in closing as an encouragement. But look at what it says. As just has been said, verse 15, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Who were they that heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? So what is God saying to us? You will fall and you will be judged. And for them, the rest was the promised land. For us, the promised land is heaven. You will not make it. Could you imagine going all this way for God? And then at the end, not making it. Could you imagine being that pastor who's lived 30, 40 years for Jesus and then throwing it away with the homosexual prostitute? God forbid. My friends, do not give in to sin's deceitfulness. And listen to the encouragement of verse 14. Here it is very simply. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. Would you all stand up with me, please, today? God bless you for coming early to Sunday school. So awesome to see everybody here. The place is full, and God is doing wonderful things. Rachel, would you come to the keyboard, please? The Scripture says it so plainly that you have come to share in Christ if you hold to the end. I was reading a commentary by F.F. Bruce, and he said, To start with the confidence is good, but it's not good enough. You have to end confident in the Lord. And the confidence that it's talking about here is faith. Because as it goes on in Hebrews, Hebrews gives the definition of faith. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Then he goes on to say, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So where does it all come from? It comes from love and faith. So think of it this way. If you love God, you're going to believe in God. That just would go hand in hand, right? If you don't love Him, you're not going to believe in Him. So if you love God and you have faith in Him, what will you do then? You'll listen to what He says. So every day, you're hearing the voice of God. It's a personal relationship. And at that moment, you're saved and you're sharing in Christ. You're confident of that. No doubt in your mind. We're not talking about not having assurance of salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. You're saved. You know you're saved. How many are saved? Amen. You know that you're saved. Okay. But what do you do? You keep that confidence to the end. Because what can happen if you're not careful is sin will try to lure you. And in my life example perfect example. I know if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody else. You're living for God. Sin comes and says, hey, just take a look at this. You start doing it. You feel the Lord say, don't do this anymore. Then you say, no, I'm going to go a little bit further. She's okay. And then all of a sudden it escalates. And if you don't stop, then it escalates more. And then now you don't hear God's voice anymore. That's why when you talk to people who are backslidden, they always say, my God will never judge me. And that's right, their God never will because their God's now make-believe. Instead of hearing the voice of God, now all they hear is their own thoughts now. See, it's hard enough when you're serving Lord, the Lord to discern between your thought and God's thought. But when you're away from God, you think your thoughts are God. You think because you like yourself, because you're easy on your sin, you think God's that way. But really what has happened is the most fearful thing. You've stopped listening. And your heart is hard. And so the warning is, let's encourage each other daily to not let that happen and to today turn from any sin that could lead us down that path. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this morning for Sunday school, God, to go to school on Sunday and hear your words being preached, to meet with our brothers and sisters in your house God, we love you so much. I can hear people already praising you and thanking you for salvation and for the Holy Ghost and for your word. But Lord, I can't let this warning just go by without a chance for people to respond. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to pray right now that if you're in this place and either you're away from God because your heart has become hard or you're being tempted and drawn away Today, I want you to come forward and just kneel at this altar and begin to repent and then find an accountability partner before you go and make sure that they keep you accountable daily. So as I begin to pray, I'm going to pray you do that right now in Jesus' name. Come now as I pray. Father, I pray that hearts will be open to you. That anyone who is suffering from deceitfulness of temptation, the luring of sin, that any and all today, God, who are being drawn away from you because of sin's deceitfulness would be honest today and hear your voice again, Lord, and come back. Let them come back, Lord. Let them get in a right relationship with you. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for warning us. We thank you for warning us. It's not too late, Lord. Even for that pastor who committed the grossest of sin, it's not too late for him. For that brother that's in error today, it's not too late for him. We call them back in Jesus' name. We call this congregation back. One congregation, one body serving God. Now I want some of you right now who can see these up at the altar to quickly come and pray for them so that you can start to be their accountability partner. So elders or 201 class, just come quickly and start praying for them so that when they're done praying, they can confess to you what's going on. And we're just going to sing that song, Holiness. If you don't know it, Rachel, just any song that has to do with holiness unto God. There you go. It's what you want. It's what I need, Jesus. It's what I need. Come on, if you're just standing right now, just raise your hands and worship the Lord and sing holiness. Holiness is what you want from me. Come on, make a new declaration to God today. Holiness. Holiness. Holiness is what I long for. 